Good afternoon and welcome to the gathering of God's people called Resurrection Church. My name is Bob. I'm one of the pastors. It's my joy to open up the Word of God with you today and uh, see what God would have for us as a people. We are doing a sermon series called Be the Church. This is week number three. And the idea is that we are to be the church joining with God on mission, His mission. We saw in week one that the church is a people, God's people. Week two, we looked at how the church is called to be devoted to Jesus in His kingdom. This week, we're really asking this question, how do we make an impact? How do we work together to make an impact? What does that look like? And so I'm going to pray, and then we'll get to work. Father God, we thank you for your grace and mercy and love. We thank you for sending Jesus to do a a wonderful work of redemption, a wonderful work of salvation. We acknowledge that Jesus is God who left heaven and came to earth and lived among us. He lived a sinless life. He went to the cross and died in our place for our sin. He rose from the grave conquering sin and death. In Christ alone there is salvation. And Lord, I pray for my friends who are here among us today who maybe don't know you. Would you give them salvation? Would you give them faith? Would you change their life? May they experience the the love and the joy of Christ Jesus. As well, God, I pray that you would build us up. Holy Spirit, would you speak to each of us? Would you minister the word of God to us? That we would learn and grow and be changed and transformed to look more like Jesus. We ask, God, that uh, today we would honor Jesus in all that we do. And we pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Well, some years ago, I was asked a question, and the question was this, would you consider planting a church in Tacoma? Now, to give you a little bit of backstory, uh, leading up to this question, I had been kind of feeling God pulling on my heart that I should uh, leave Seattle and plant something somewhere, but I didn't know what that meant. And so when I was asked that question, would you consider planting a church in Tacoma, Uh, my immediate response was, well, I've never even considered such a thing. And so I would need to to think about it and pray about it and really see if that's what God wants for me. And so uh, I did that, and I left uh, Seattle and came down to Tacoma one day, and I remember being down here, and uh, I was walking around downtown. I was spending time walking and praying and really just seeking what God would have for me. Lord, do you want me to be a part of something you're doing down here? What is it? If so, you know, what, is, what does it look like for me to be a part of it? And as I was praying and walking, it's as though uh, God really just kind of opened up my eyes and all of a sudden I could see all the opportunity in the area for the gospel. It's hard to explain, but it just started to make sense. Like I could see there, here's different types of people, different life, life stages. Here's, here's how the gospel could help that person and that person. Here's how God could change that person and that person. And things just started to really make sense. And I got excited about that. I got really excited. And it was at that moment that God started to speak to my heart, and there were two things that he put on my heart. The first of which is this. God said to me, you know, you need to understand this is my work that I'm doing down here. It's my work. And it's, it's, I've been doing a work in the South End before the city of Tacoma even existed. I've been working in this area, in this region from day one. I've been here. I've been working through ministers and churches, and it's been happening for over 100 years. You need to understand that there are many churches working together in this area, and it's God's work. So, that, so having that awareness brought a degree of humility. Okay, Lord, it's your work. It's not my work. And then God put on my heart this idea where he, he, he said, you know, if you're going to plant something, you need to have a vision beyond Tacoma. You need to have a heart for Tacoma, but you need to have a, a vision beyond Tacoma, a regional vision. Now, I didn't really know what that meant at the time. 
but it got me excited. Okay, I, I thought I was being invited to maybe come down and plant a church in Tacoma, downtown area for Tacoma, and God was saying, no, I want you to, to care about all the cities in the South End because the work I'm doing is going to reach all these cities. I went home and I shared with my wife, like, this is what happened. This is, this is I, was, I was walking and praying and God was speaking to me and talking to me and this is what's put on my heart. And obviously I said to her, you know, um, I'm not going to even consider it unless you have confirmation that this is what we're supposed to do because we're a family. And so whatever we do, we do together. And so uh, she started to, to pray as well. And we came down and spent time driving around the area as a family and praying and really seeking what the Lord would have for us. And very quickly, she also said, I feel God is calling us to move and to be a part of whatever his kingdom work looks like in the South End. And so we did that. We sold our house and we moved. And that was about four and a half years ago. And so uh, in retrospect, I see what God was doing. But at the time, it was kind of stepping out in faith, not knowing exactly what he was going to do. So I share that with you because I want you to understand what what I'm going to talk to you about today as we open up the word Really, my heart is to invite you to join with me and the other pastors in God's work that he's doing. So it's a work that he's doing, and and it's a work that spreads across the region. Our vision as a church is to see every neighborhood, every city be impacted by the gospel so that individual lives are changed, families are changed, cities are changed by Jesus. That's what we are hoping to see happen. That's what our heart is for. And so the big idea today is really simple. Being the church means fulfilling our ministry. Okay? Being the church means fulfilling your ministry, me fulfilling my ministry, us together fulfilling our ministry. And you could ask, well, what does that look like? What we're going to do is we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And these verses are really uh, verses that give us um, clarity and direction and what the philosophy of ministry should look like for the church. And so we'll read them together and then we're going to study them. So let's read through them. Ephesians 4 chapters, or Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, unto Christ." from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, we see a lot of things going on here, but what I want us to focus on are are, are two things that we see that tell us really what to do as the church. And so the first thing we see is that as the church, leaders equip the saints. And we see this in verse 11, so let's read it again. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints. Okay, so who is the he? The he here and who gives is Jesus. This is Jesus. Jesus is the one who builds his church. He is our uh, high priest. He is God. 
He's the one we follow, and we see that he's the one who gives to the church leaders. One of the ways that Jesus builds his church is through his people. One of the ways he builds his church is by giving the church leaders. And so we need to see that godly leadership is a gift from God to the church, to the church. And so if you're a leader, you are a gift to us. And we just want to say thank you. We're we're grateful for you. Thank you for loving Jesus. Thank you for serving faithfully. You bless us. You bless us. We see here that Jesus is giving leaders, but what I want you to notice is it's not just one leader, there's a multitude of leaders. I don't know if you picked up on this, but it says apostles with an S, prophets with an S, evangelists with an S, shepherds with an S, teachers with an S. This is in plural form. These are many leaders. And so we see God giving a multitude of leaders to lead the church. And so we want to have a a, a team approach to how we do ministry. And I think the reason for this are, are, are a few reasons, one of which is that no one leader is good at everything. Now, obviously, Jesus is in a category unto himself. He's perfect. But no earthly leader is good at everything. No earthly leader is gifted in every way. Every leader has strengths and weaknesses. And so God gives the church a multitude of leaders to complement each other, so that their gifts can work in a way that blesses the body. And so there's unity and diversity, unity of mission, diversity among the gifts as the team works together to complement each other, to lead and guide and bless and build up the church. And so we see Jesus giving a multitude of leaders. Now, what I think is happening here is there are different leadership roles, but there's also different leadership gifts that we see described here. And someone could have uh, maybe one of these gifts or maybe multiple gifts. They could have, you know, a varying degree of giftedness also. And so let's look at each of these and kind of explore what they are. So first we see apostles. Okay, apostles. What, What is that? Now, there is some debate among that word, among biblical scholars, and uh, it all revolves around this idea of, you know, the, the, the apostles were, that was the title that was given to the, the disciples who led the church when the church first began. That word apostle simply means sent ones. And originally when the church started, you had eyewitnesses of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus who were the apostles who were leading the church. And so the question is like, well, what's, what's this talking about? Is it talking about those guys or something else? Here's my view, and I'm just going to share my view with you. I believe that the capital A apostle, that official office in the church, does not exist any longer because those people were eyewitnesses to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And after they died, that office went away. However, I do believe that in the church, there are leaders who have a gift like an apostle. They have an apostolic gift. And so these leaders who have an apostolic gift are really about being either sent out or to start something that is a new work. They start new works, they raise up leaders, they plant churches, they help the gospel go forward to reach different people groups. We also see here prophets. And likewise, there's a little bit of debate around this. Capital P, prophet, is in prophets of the Old Testament. I don't believe that that role exists anymore. However, there are leaders who have a prophetic gifting. And a leader who has a prophetic gifting is able to discern the will of God by the word of God and then speak to the people of God to help the people of God obey God. And so we see examples of this, even in the book of Acts, that there are people with prophetic gifting and they're, they're speaking words to the church, maybe to encourage the church, maybe to warn the church, but to help and guide the church. We also see evangelists. 
Evangelists are leaders who are gifted in such a way to where they know how to share the gospel and to really connect with people so that they hear about Jesus and are able to respond in faith and and experience salvation. And so oftentimes evangelists understand contextualization. They understand this idea that the the truth of the gospel doesn't change, but culture changes and people change. And so we got to figure out how do we bring this unchanging truth into a, a changing world? How do we speak to a specific people at a specific time in a specific culture. And the way you do that is going to look a little different based on the people you're trying to reach. So evangelists understand this. They know how to do this. They lead the way in this. We also see shepherds. So shepherds are leaders who have a a gift that's really about caring for the flock. That's that that word shepherd is just this illustration of of a shepherd to sheep. Jesus is also called the good shepherd. He's actually the chief shepherd. So shepherds who are these leader shepherds are under shepherds underneath Jesus, and they care for God's people. They love the people. They know the people. They nurture the people. They protect the people. They lead the people. They guide the people. They help the people. And shepherds bring a a culture of love into the church through relationships. And then we also see, lastly, teachers uh, teachers is, uh, these are leaders who are able to understand the Word of God, to explain the Word of God, to help other people understand the Word of God, and, and, and really apply it in their lives. And so we see God giving the church these types of teachers to teach the Word and to build them up and edify them in the Word of God. So Jesus is giving the, the church leaders as a gift, and there are specific roles within the church for these leaders. They have certain gifts. The question is, well, what are they doing? Like, what are the leaders supposed to do? And the answer is equip. Equip. I mean, look what it says. To equip the saints. So leaders equip saints. And this idea of equip really means to, um, to train or prepare. So the leaders are training or preparing the saints. Now, in equipping, it's more than just information. It's more than just knowledge. It includes that, but it's more than that. Because oftentimes someone might open up the Bible and say, I'm going to equip you, I'm going to teach you some things, and then you learn, you learn information, but what happens to that information? And so equipping really, it kind of carries this idea that there's, there's you know, information for the head, but that, that truth, that knowledge has to go deep into the heart, and by the power of the Spirit, the heart needs to be changed so that life will be changed. And so equipping is, is knowledge and abilities. It's, it's, it's knowledge and skills. It's, it's knowing uh, the truth and then knowing how to live out the truth. And so we see that God is giving this gift of leaders to equip the saints to know the truth and know how to live out the truth. So how does that play out practically? Here's some examples of what it could look like. So say a leader has an apostolic gift. They're going to equip the saints. They're going to help the saints understand, here's our our vision, here's our mission, here's how we're going to go and make disciples, and this is what it looks like for you to lead others to make disciples. So that would be one way. You could look at uh, the the idea of the the prophets. Leaders with a, a, a prophetic gift are going to teach other people how to discern the will of God. How to see, this is what God wants for us. It's clear in his word. How do we respond to him in obedience? They want people to learn that for themselves so that they can apply those, that, you know, discerning God's will and being faithful to God in their own lives. As well, when it comes to, say, uh, the evangelists, they want to teach people and equip them how to share the gospel. 
So it's not just the evangelists who share the gospel, but we're all sharing the gospel. And we're learning how to do that by these ones who are gifted in it so they can teach the rest of us how to do that. When it comes to shepherds, shepherds are equipping the body to teach people how to love each other and to do relationships and to disciple one another so that there can be a health and, 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 and just a, a great you know, relationship of love within the community of Christ. And then lastly, when it comes to teachers, teachers are equipping people to not just know the word, but how to actually study the word themselves, how to apply it in their lives. The goal really being is to equip the saints so that they can be people who can lead Bible studies on their own or lead people to understand the, the scriptures on their own. So when you see these different roles, it's pretty easy to connect the dots and see how, wow, when, when leaders equip, it really blesses the body and it is building up the body and it helps the body when this is happening. This is a good thing. It's a good thing. Now, what else do we see in this section of Scripture? Point number two, and this is the second thing I want us to really focus on, is that as the church, saints do the work of ministry. Okay, so saints do the work of ministry. We see this in verse 12, to equip the saints for, this is the reason for the equipping, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so who are the saints? The saints are the believers, the Christians. If you're a believer, you're a saint. Now, I know that oftentimes we have this kind of weird idea of what is a saint. I mean, maybe you, you, you've been told or you've heard like, well, a saint is someone who go, they go and they do something really selfless and remarkable and then they are, they're made a saint. But that's not the way the Bible approaches the idea of saint. Saint in the scriptures is really more about identity. It's not that you do something and you somehow become a saint, but rather Jesus did something to make you a saint. It's about identity. It's who you are in Christ. Jesus has given you his righteousness and you're made a saint. It's who you are. And so, if you're a believer, you're a saint. And if you're a saint, you are called to do the work of ministry. See, it doesn't say, watch someone else do the work of ministry. It says, no, no, you are doing the work of ministry. So, what this means practically is that every single believer is a minister of the gospel. Every single believer has a ministry. Every single believer is expected to do the work of ministry. In Ephesians chapter 2, uh, the Bible says this. It says that um, we were created as God's workmanship in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would do them. This, this idea is that before you were even born, God knew you were going to be born because he, he ordained you would be born. And he chose you in Christ to be saved before you even existed. And not only did he choose for you to be born, not only did he choose for you to be born again in Jesus, but he also has set apart works for you. He has a ministry for you. And out of your salvation, then you work unto the Lord. And that's a part of your calling in life is to do the work of ministry that God has is ordained for you and planned for you to do. Now, hearing that all saints do the work of ministry, the, the implications are, are they're, they're very, there are a lot of them, right? This means that ministry is an event. It's not an event that you go to. Ministry is not a task that you perform. It, ministry is really lifestyle. It's all of life, right? We're all ministering all the time. It's just how we do life. But I want you to understand that 
There has been some distortions in the American Christian church in regards to this truth that I think we have to at least point out and be aware of. And the reason for these distortions, I really think that they're a, uh, it's because of, because of culture and the way that culture has impacted the church. So think about our culture, right? We live in a, in a consumeristic culture. That's our culture. And if you even trace back, say, I don't know, 100 years, you see the way that culture has, has been shaped through um, business. So it was like people had a product and you would pay money and you'd get a product. And then that kind of evolved. Now, all of a sudden, now people have a service, and you pay money to get a service. And then that kind of evolved. And then now people give an experience, and you pay money, and you get an experience. And then that kind of evolved. Now, well, people have information, and you pay money, and you get information or access. And, and what, that de- what that is, and what, what's happening there is it's you're consuming. I pay money, and I get something in return. And that's culture. Okay, that's culture. Now, When that idea goes into the church, it can create a distortion of this truth that the saints do the work of ministry. And the way it's played out over the last several decades or so, and honestly, I don't even know where it began, is this idea that some churches, not all churches, some churches, they kind of have this mentality that, well, if something needs to happen, if ministry needs to happen, if something needs to get done, we'll hire someone and they'll do it. And so, the people who do ministry are paid, and the people who, who are unpaid, they're the ones being ministered to. You see the distortion? So it's, if you're paid, you do ministry. If you're not paid, you don't do ministry. You're being ministered to. Now, I don't see that in the Scriptures. I do see the Bible saying that if the church wants to hire people, it can. The church has freedom to do that if it so chooses to. But what you see in the Scriptures time and time again, and what's very clear is that the saints do the work of ministry. So this whole idea that if you're paid, you minister, and unpaid, you don't minister, it's just not biblical. It's not in the scriptures. What you see is God's people are a part of God's ministry. God's people minister. God's people minister. All saints do the work of ministry. We as a church, when we were planting Resurrection Church, took Ephesians 4 quite literal and very serious and said, you know what, this is the way we want to approach ministry. We want this to be our philosophy of ministry. This is how we want to do it. And so intentionally, we have a very small staff for a church of our size. And the reason for that is because we believe that the majority of leaders in the church ought to be volunteers that the saints are the one doing the ministry. It takes hundreds of people to do the ministry called Resurrection Church, and the saints are the ones who are, are, who are doing the ministry. And the reason that we're intentional about that is because we want to be faithful to the Word. That's, that's us attempting to try to live this out as a church. Now, in, in, in hearing all saints do ministry, Understand that even though the scriptures are clear about that, it's fairly uncommon in the church. There's been studies and um, research that's concluded that only about 45% of people who are a part of the church serve. Okay, so think about that for a moment. Less than half the people who are part of the church serve. Studies also conclude that 28% of people have never served in any way, shape, or form during their Christian walk. So, 
a little over a quarter of the people have never served. So if, if half the people are serving and a quarter of the people have never served, what does that tell you? It tells you that there's a, a small group of people who are doing all the work. That's one of the things it tells you. It also tells you there are a lot of people who are simply missing out on what God wants for them. They're not experiencing doing ministry. They're not experiencing this aspect of what God has called them to as believers. And so my question to you is, are you doing the work of ministry? Are you experiencing what God is talking about here? Are you living this out? Sometimes I'll, I'll talk to someone, I'll ask them, you know, hey, are you, are you serving anywhere? What are you doing? And they'll say, no, no, I'm not. Okay, well, why not? And one of the things people will say is, well, I don't know where I fit. That's one of the common things I hear. I don't know where I fit. Right? So if, 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 you, if you're thinking, I don't really know where I fit. How do, I don't know how to, to, to get started or where I fit. Just know that we will help you figure out where you fit based on your giftedness, your interests, there is a, a place, a fit for you. Next week, we're going to talk about gifts. So we're going to talk a lot more about that next week. I won't go into it this week. But just know that if you are saying, I want to serve, but I don't know where I fit, let us help you. We can help you after service get connected in that way. Sometimes I'll ask people, hey, are you serving? And they'll say, no, I'm not serving. Okay, well, why not? And they'll say, well, I don't think I'm needed. And I just want to address that. Um, it may appear as though you're not needed, but you are needed. Um, I was talking with uh, our executive pastor, Jim, this week, and he had a, you know, a, an Excel spreadsheet graft, right? That's what people who have the gift of administration and leadership do. And he said, here's a chart, and it has all the, all the, all the needs for us to actually do a Sunday service. That's not the whole part of our ministry as a church. That's just one little part of it. And he said, it takes hundreds of hours to make it happen. And then he said, and here are the needs. There's over 100 hours of need just to pull off our, our services. And I was like, wow, that's a lot of need. But, but what I want you to hear is that need equals opportunity. Those are opportunities. But there's something even more important than need. Am I needed? Yes, but here's what's more important. You're wanted. You're wanted. There's a difference. Need is we just need someone to fill a slot. Want is, hey, we really want you to be a part of the body and a part of the family. And we're, 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 we miss you. We're missing out because we don't have you. And you're missing out because you don't have us. You see the difference? And so it's not just need, it's want. It's want. We want you. We're calling you. We're inviting you. Someone once asked me, they said, Pastor Bubba, it seems like you're really passionate when it comes to people serving in the church. And my answer was, yes. But understand why, why that is. You see, the reason I'm really passionate about this, the reason why this is very, very important to me, there are two reasons. One, this is what God says. It's what God wants for his people. Saints, do the work of ministry. It's, it's very clear. And, and God cares a lot about it, so I care a lot about it. The other reason, though, is because when you are doing the work of ministry, you grow and you flourish in your faith. And that's a very good thing, and I want that for you. I want that for you. So, so my motivation is I care about you. I love you. I want good for you. I want you to experience the fullness of Christ. I want you to experience the, the blessings of being a part of the church and fulfilling your ministry. 
I remember when I first became a Christian, for the first couple of years, I was not really connected to a church. I would show up every once in a while and just attend, but I wasn't serving in any way, shape, or form. I didn't have a paradigm for it. I didn't understand it. And then I started to serve, and it was just like, boosh, my faith took off. Like, I started to grow exponentially, and God used serving to do a radical growth in my life. And I've seen him do that again and again and again in other people's lives. I want you to understand that, that serving isn't just about what you get, but it's also about really demonstrating the love of God. I was talking to Pastor Joel earlier this week, and he was telling me that when he was growing up, the way that his parents did family is his mom and dad would pay him if he did a chore. So he had, he had to mow the lawn. If he mowed the lawn, he got paid. And then when he got older, he lived with another family for a little while, and that family did life totally different. In that family, everybody had a chore. Saturday was chore day. Everybody had a job. Everybody had a responsibility. Everybody did their job. Everybody took care of the responsibility. Nobody got paid. It was simply an outpouring of being a part of the family. And he said, you know, at first he was frustrated because he had to mow the lawn and he didn't get paid for it. But then he realized in time that it was really just a difference of what the families were trying to teach the children. You see, his parents were trying to teach him, if you work hard, you can receive money. And they were trying to give it, teach him really this, this idea of a work ethic, which he learned. The other family was trying to teach their kids, look, because we love each other, we give away ourselves, we help each other, we serve each other. And so they had kind of two things they were going for. And because he got both experiences, he got to experience both sides of it. And he learned, hey, being a part of the family and doing things, that's just loving each other. And so the, the church is kind of like the family that everybody has a job and everybody has a chore and we all do our part. And it's really a, a response of love. It's an outpouring of love. And so understand that the motivation under it is always love. It's love. If you serve, you will experience joy. You'll be blessed. It'll be good for you. I'll give you an example. You don't have to take my word for it. I want you to meet someone. This, this is, I'm going to show you a picture. This is Nick. Um, Nick is a leader in our church. He leads our security team. He's a volunteer. Uh, and, you know, Nick is a, a great guy. I mean, obviously looking at him, you can tell that he has an amazing beard, right? It's like, man, nice beard. Um, but if you knew Nick, you would respect him because of his character, who he is. And Nick gave me permission to share his story with you. You see, Nick is a leader, but when Nick first showed up and he was a part of the church, he wasn't serving. He wasn't connected. He was just attending every once in a while a service, and that was really all that was going on. But as time went on, he started to get more and more connected. So he first got connected to a community group. That was step one for him. And as he was connected to a community group, he started hearing about opportunities to, to serve and to be a part of what was happening. And so he started to serve. But what Nick said is he said, you know, when he, he first started serving, his motivation was kind of, it was kind of selfish. He just wanted to serve because he wanted to, to meet people and build some relationships. Now understand, meeting people, building relationships, good. It's a good thing. But Nick was saying, you know, I kind of felt a little bit convicted that I was being selfish and then he had a conversation with the community group leader. His community group leader asked him a question. And it really created like a paradigm shift for Nick. And here was the question. He said, he said, Nick, why are you a part of the church? Like, why are you a part? And he had to think about that. He's like, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure. And so his community group leader said, you know, could I suggest to you that the reason you're a part of the church is because you see 
the love of Jesus being exemplified in the people. You see people loving each other. And that's the reason why you're drawn to be a part of the church, to be a part of the family of God. And Nick said as he thought about that, he realized that was true. That was it. That was kind of the, 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 missing, the missing link of his, of his understanding of serving. And he said it really changed him. And from that point on, his motivation changed. And Nick said these words. I wanna, I'm going to read them for you. I want to quote him. This is what he said. He said, God started molding me to want to bring people alongside me in serving. And he has given me a genuine desire to invest in our church body. Giving myself away for that, it gives me real joy. So here's Nick, this young man who is an example of doing the work of ministry. He's an example. And he's saying, I give myself away and I invest in the, in the church, in the kingdom of God, and it brings me joy. Let's just think about that for a moment. A young man investing his life. We, we live in a day when young men are more likely to waste their life than invest their life. They're more likely to, to waste their life playing video games or getting loaded with their friends or just being lazy or whatever. I mean, how often do you see a young man investing his life and selflessly giving because he loves? Giving to invest, to build up. You don't see that very often. And so I just, I just wanna, I wanna point this out, okay? A couple things. First off, investing in the kingdom of God is the best investment you can ever make. I mean, think about the types of things that you could be focused on or concerned with. You can invest in a business, but businesses fail and they fall apart, and ultimately every business will eventually fall apart. You could invest in a nation, but even nations crumble and fall. The only thing that lasts forever is the church, the people of God. I mean, when you, you look at eternity, what you see is Jesus with his people. You see a renewed earth, heaven um, opening up and the city of God coming to dwell on this new earth. And so all the things that we know right now are going to fade away and be gone, but eternity will be Jesus and his people, Jesus in the church. So when you invest in the church, you invest in kingdom work, you're making an investment that has eternal implications. It's, a, it's, a, it's the best investment you can make. And I just want to invite you to this. I want to invite you. I'm calling you up. You know, I've noticed that there are a lot of young men who are, are showing up. You know, some, some of you, you've, maybe you've been here for three weeks. Some of you, maybe this is the first time you've been around. And I want you to understand, you're, you're being called up. We love to see young men step up and to be called up to embrace the ministry that God has for them. So we're inviting you. We're calling you. We're, we're crying out. Invest yourself. Make a difference. I'll give you a recommendation. Uh, you could go and serve in the kids' ministry. You, you could learn how to disciple a little kid, and that'll teach you how to be a father. That's a good thing. Who knows, while you're down there, you might meet some cute gal, and you know, may lead to marriage. Wouldn't be the first time. Just saying, right? I'm trying to help you guys out, all right? But the point is, is that we're inviting you to make something of your life by 
investing in the kingdom and building the kingdom. And it's not just a call for the men, okay? I mean, there, there are, I've seen a, a lot of folks who are, are kind of in the season of life where they're like empty nesters. What do we do now? Okay, fulfill your ministry. Or people are like, well, I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, retire or sell a business. What do I do? Fulfill your ministry, right? If you're young, if you're old, if you're a woman, if you're a man, it's, it's all the same. Fulfill your ministry. God is calling you. He's inviting you. He's saying, fulfill your ministry. He has a ministry for you, not the person sitting next to you. You, fulfill your ministry. What happens when we do this, when we're faithful, when leaders equip and saints do the work of ministry? What takes place? Well, I'm going to show you. I want you to see this because we see it clearly in the scriptures here. And so we're going to look at verses uh, 13 through 16. The what is fulfill your ministry, do the work of ministry. The why, why should we do this? is what we're going to get into now. We see in in verse 12 that when people are fulfilling their ministry, the church is built up. It says, for the building up of the body. That's the language that's used. The church grows. The church is built up. And what I want you to see here that there are four ways that the church grows. How does the church grow? Well, he tells us. Here's the, the first way in which the church grows. Unity. Look at verse 13 until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Okay, so when leaders do not equip, what takes place is that um, there's no unity, there's disunity. People aren't sure, like, who are we following? What are we doing? But when leaders equip, it's very clear, well, our faith is in Jesus. He's the Son of God. When, when saints are doing the work of ministry, it's very clear, we're following Jesus. If we want to grow in unity, leaders need to equip, saints need to do the work of ministry. How else does the church grow? Number two, maturity. We look at the second part of verse 13. The first part says, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And then the second part says, to mature manhood, right? That's maturity to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so when leaders do not equip, what happens is is that people don't understand what it means to grow in grace, grow in character. Uh, They don't understand what it means to to, to grow in uh, the fruit of the Spirit. There's no knowledge of these things. There's no awareness of these things. And so people, they really just live kind of for themselves, and it's kind of selfish, and there's immaturity. There's immaturity in the body. But when leaders are equipping and saints are doing the work of ministry, what happens is people start to put on the character of Christ. They embrace their identity in Jesus. They start to learn that, oh, God has given us himself in in the power of the Spirit to, to lead us in guide us and help us to be faithful to our calling and to grow and mature to look more like Jesus. And this idea of maturity, he says, he says here, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that, that God is renewing you in the image of Christ, that he wants you to be mature. He wants to build you up. And his, his desire is fullness, that you would be mature to the full measure of Christ. If we want to grow in maturity, leaders need to equip, saints need to do the work of ministry. How else do we grow? The third thing we see is doctrinal purity. Verse 14 talks about this. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves 
and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. When leaders don't equip, what happens is there's no sound teaching, there's no sound doctrine, and and people are confused. What do we believe? He uses this language here, the children are tossed to and fro by the waves as though it's the, the waves of heresy have come in, false teachers have come in, and the, the, the church is, is just is being tossed to and fro. And we need to have a, a, a rudder. If you're a ship with no rudder, you just get tossed back and forth in the waves. You need a rudder. The scriptures are a rudder. You need an anchor. The scriptures are an anchor to ground us in the reality of Jesus. And so when leaders are equipping, they're saying, look, this is what we believe. It's right here. This is why we believe it. And then what that does is it, it pushes out the false teaching. When the saints are doing the work of ministry collectively as the community of Christ, we say, no, we, don't, we, we reject false teaching. We're going to contend for the gospel. And so the church is able to, to grow in doctrinal purity. If we want doctrinal purity, we want to grow in that, then leaders equip and saints do the work of ministry. How else do we grow? This is the fourth thing we see, love. This is in verses 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up, there's that idea of growing up, grow up in every way unto him who is the head, unto Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. So see what verse 16 is saying. It's saying when everyone's doing their part in the whole body and it's being equipped, when everything is working properly, here's what happens makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love, in love. When, when leaders are not equipping, what takes place is that we lose the gospel of grace. And when there is no gospel of grace, people default to religion and works. We somehow try to save ourselves instead of trusting in the Savior. And so we're to speak the truth in love. And as we speak the truth in love, we build each other up in Christ. This is receiving the love of God, sharing the love of God, leaders speaking the truth in love, saints speaking the truth in love, everybody building each other up in love. You look at this and you take a step back, and what do you see? Okay, the church, leaders equip the saints, saints do the work of ministry, when that's happening, the church is built up, the church grows, the church grows in unity, the church grows in maturity, the church grows in doctrinal purity, the church grows in love, in love. And this is deep and wide. It's the church growing deeper together, but it's wide in the sense that we're reaching out beyond uh, the church to reach those who have yet to be in the church so that they can hear the gospel and be saved and be a part of the family of God. And so when we are working together in this way, we're able to minister throughout the region in our neighborhoods and in our cities as we make disciples. You see how this all comes together? And so when we ask, like, well, how does this apply? Okay, how, how does this apply to me? That's the question you should be asking yourself right now. The answer is, is simple. You ready for it? Do the work of ministry, right? Fulfill your ministry. That's the answer. You're like, you've been saying that for a while now. I know. But that's, that's it. All of this is to bring you to a place to realize God is calling you, inviting you to fulfill your ministry. I could say it another way, which is get in the game. Get in the game. 
right? Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's not you sitting in the stands and you're watching Jesus and he's, he's doing everything. That's not it. You're in the game. Get in the game. I'll give you an illustration to close our time to explain what I mean. Maybe some of you remember that old 1990s movie, Rudy. Anybody remember that movie? Well, I'll tell you about the movie. If you haven't seen it, it's fine. It's based on a true story. It's about a young man played by Sean Astin. That's who the, the, the actor is. The young man's name is Rudy. Rudy, his dream is to play football at Notre Dame. He graduates high school. All he wants, his life's ambition, play football at Notre Dame. And so he decides, okay, I'm going to go for my dream. I'm going to give it all I got. He has a problem, though. Well, actually, he has probably multiple problems. Um, he, he doesn't have the size to play football. He's like five foot six, okay? He's not that coordinated, okay? His grades are really bad. So he's got some, he's got some stuff to work out. But he says, you know what? I'm still going to go for it. This is my dream. And so he applies to try to get in at Notre Dame. He does not get in. He's rejected because his grades are not good enough. All right, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep going for it. He decides, I will go to a junior college in the area, and I'll try to get my grades up. And so that's what he does. He goes to a junior college, and he starts working hard at his grades. During the course of the year, he realizes he has dyslexia, and so he has to relearn how to learn. And now all of a sudden, he's really starting to actually understand how to learn for the first time, and his grades start to improve slowly and slowly. He applies the next year to get into Notre Dame. He's rejected. So he's like, all right, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep working hard. I'm going to keep working hard. He actually starts volunteering as a groundskeeper so that he can just be on the football field at Notre Dame to be around the players. And so he's, he's volunteering. He's serving. He's trying everything he can to somehow get to this dream. He does this for year after year until it's like the last year, his last chance, his last opportunity. And he applies and that last year, he gets accepted. Okay, great. He got accepted. So now he's in. He's, he's at the school. So now he's going to try to get on the team. So he goes and he tries out for the team. And he's not, he's not, he doesn't make the team. He's not accepted. But they allow him to be on the practice squad. Being on the practice squad is just code for the other players are going to beat you up during practice. But he doesn't care. He's, he's like, okay, this is fine. Hey, at least I'm on the practice squad, and I'm going to give it all I got. So he works hard, right? He shows up earlier than everyone else. He stays later than everyone else. He's more dedicated than anyone else. He's given it all he has every single day. He's working really, really, really hard all the time. As time goes on, he starts to really win the respect of his fellow players. The season is going on, and he, and he, he just, all he wants is to be accepted and legitimate. In order to be official, you have to have a jersey. In order to be officially on the roster, you have to play in a game. All he wants is a jersey. All he wants is to, is to play in the game, to be in the game. That's all he wants. And as he gains the respect of these players and the season is coming to a close, it gets right before the last game. And what happens is each player goes up to the coach individually and takes his jersey and says, here's my jersey. Rudy's worked harder than me. He deserves it more than me. Give it to him. Every single player does this. And the coach is kind of looking at it going, wow. So he decides, I'm going to give Rudy a jersey. So he gives him a jersey. 
So now Rudy's got a jersey. He's actually going to get to, he's going to get to, you know, be on the line when the game happens, the last game of the year. And so there he is. He's on the line. He's all excited. His family's in the stands. He's like looking at him like, hey, look, look at me. I'm here. I'm here. You know, but he's not official unless he plays. As the game gets going, they're doing really great. They're ahead by a long shot. And the players start to say to the coach, like, put, put, put Rudy in. Like, we can't lose. Like, he can't, he can't mess it up. Just put him in there. Put him in there. Everyone's kind of knowing the story, and they're all kind of, Rudy, Rudy, chanting for him. Like, come on, coach, come on. So the coach decides, last couple of minutes of the game, he's going to put Rudy in. Rudy plays defense. So he goes in, and the ball is snapped, and it's an incomplete pass. And now here it is, the last play. He's on, he's on the field. This means that he, he's actually official now. The last play. And the ball is snapped, and Rudy makes his way through the line, and just boom, he sacks the quarterback. Everybody goes crazy. The crowd's just like, Wah! the game ends. They win. Everyone's chanting, Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. The players run to the field. They pick him up. They hoist him up. And then they, Rudy, Rudy, they, they carry him off the field, right? Only two people in the history of Notre Dame football have been carried off the field. Rudy's one of them. And that's the story. It's based on a true story. The, the real guy named Rudy did sack the quarterback, and he was carried off the field. And we hear stories like this, and we love those kind of stories, right? The underdog somehow rises up through de determination and hard work and perseverance. He won't quit. He keeps trying, and somehow he rises up. We love those stories because those stories inspire us, and we identify with them. We see ourselves in Rudy. We see ourselves and say, I'm like that. I understand the struggle. I get it. And if he can do it, then just maybe I can as well. And so those stories inspire us. But here's what you need to understand. The story of Rudy is not the gospel. It's not the gospel. You see, the story of Rudy is that if you work really hard, you just might be accepted. But that's not the gospel. The, the gospel is Jesus did a work through his sinless life and sacrificial death and his victorious resurrection. He did a work, and because of him, you are accepted. You are accepted. The story of Rudy is if you don't give up and you just keep trying, you just might maybe get a jersey. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is that, that Jesus takes your jersey stained with sin and he pulls it off of you and he puts it on himself on the cross and he pays for your sin and he gives you his jersey of righteousness as a gift. That's the gospel. Right? The story of Rudy is... If, if you are, are, are there on the sidelines and you're enthusiastic enough and the circumstances are, are right, you just might get in the game. You might get to, to actually play. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus rose from the, the grave and he conquered sin and death. And then he ascended into heaven. And as he ascended into heaven, in essence, he said, look, I've left the field and you take my place. Right? You are in the game. That's the gospel. The gospel is, is that Jesus has given you his place on the field. You're in the game. He's, he's forgiven sin. He adopts into his family. He gives you the spirit to empower you to fulfill your ministry. You're in the game. That's the gospel. 
And tragedy is when a believer acts as though they're on the bench. You're not. You're in the game. And so the question is, will you fulfill your ministry? Will you, by the power of the Spirit and the grace of God, try to make that last play count? Will you be the church? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for giving us a ministry and calling us up. We thank you for empowering us with the Spirit. We would not be able to be faithful apart from the Spirit's work in us. And God, I ask, would you help us as a people, help leaders to equip, help saints do the work of ministry, help us to to grow and to be built up in unity and maturity and doctrinal purity and love. May we be the body that, that is growing in grace in Christ, and may we reach out and disciple many people. May those who don't know you know you. Even now, God, I pray if there are people who are hearing this message and they don't know you, may they realize that the first step of fulfilling ministry is accepting Jesus and embracing Jesus and believing in Jesus and receiving salvation. That's what's most important. And then out of that comes ministry. God, also speak to each of us and help us to understand what our part to play is in the kingdom building. I thank you for my friends, God, and I pray for your, your protection and your, your blessings on them. In Jesus' name, amen.